Turn, if you would, to John chapter 3. Ann Burge, what were you doing 40 years ago today? Let me give you a hint. <laughs> you were at my wedding. <laughs> today is our 40th anniversary. Um, I tell this class every year, for this class, that means I'm a newlywed. So there is my beloved, 40 years ago. Uh, I told my wife this morning, our 40th anniversary, and we woke up with five kids in the house. Did we do something right, or did we do something wrong? We went to uh, London on our honeymoon, and while there, we went to Buckingham Palace to see the changing of the guard. And there was a guy there taking pictures. And he said, give me five pounds, I'll take your picture, and I'll mail it to you. And I'm going, yeah, like that's going to happen. But, you know, he was persistent in a kindly fashion, and it was just five pounds. So I gave him five pounds thinking I'm never going to see this picture. But guess what? He sent us a picture. The only problem is it's not us. <laughs> But it's close to us. You know, he, he's bald, and I, he's wearing about what I was wearing at the time. So I figured he just took a few notes and sent us the wrong picture. Anyway, we were, we were curious whether there was some computer technology we could use to find out who these people are. Anyway. We are going to continue our study of the Christ Chapel doctrinal statement. Um, last week, we talked about Jesus, who he was. I made the comment that our understanding of who Jesus is is probably the most important thing we have to consider. Jesus asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? And that was last week's lesson. Today we move on to, well, what does it all mean to us? And that is the beginning of the discussion about salvation. But in order to do that, I want to start with some definitions so we work our way through this. Justification is a legal declaration that we have been declared to be, well, righteous. This is important because... We read in the scripture about God being a righteous judge. If he is a righteous judge, he judges righteously, which means we as fallen humanity are in deep trouble. But the scripture says that we are justified through the finished work of Jesus Christ. Regeneration. This is us being born again into a new life. Jesus says you must be born again. It's not just a matter of tacking something on to who you already are. It is replacing you with a new you made right by the finished work of Jesus Christ. Adoption. We are put into God's family. We are adopted. Adopted. Election, 
Oh, we hate that term. Uh, propitiation. Oh, we need to go back to election. Election is the doctrine that God chooses, and we hate that idea. But the scripture is very clear that salvation begins with God. God is working in our lives before we are even interested in him working. And that is the doctrine of election. Propitiation. We as fallen humanity are the objects of God's wrath. And you think, well, that just means he's irrationally ticked off at us. Have you ever been irrationally ticked off at somebody or something? I had a coworker who hated Microsoft. He hated Windows to the, pat, the point where you would be sitting at our cubicle, you know, 10 cubicles away, and you'd hear him yelling things about it was irrational wrath. Well, maybe it wasn't that irrational. And we think that's what God is doing, but God is a righteous God. God's anger is a righteous anger against sin. Propitiation is the turning of that wrath away from us because of the phrase I've used all the time, the finished work of Jesus Christ. Repentance, a genuine, not superficial, change of mind about something which is followed by some change. It is the idea of I'm walking in this direction and I repent and walk in this direction. Now, in the weeks to come, we're going to add a few words to this list. I'll go ahead and tell you what they are. Uh, sanctification. That is the process where we as believers work out in our life what God has put into our lives. Glorification. When we get to heaven and the final remnant of our sin nature is removed from us, it will be glory, and that is known as glorification. Now, why do we start with these definitions? The Bible is going to talk about being saved. But it's going to talk about it as having been saved, being saved, and going to be saved. And at some point, you're going to get confused. And you're going to go, well, which is it? Have I been saved? Or am I going to be saved? Or am I being saved? And the answer is yes. But if you don't understand the distinctions in the words, you begin to get confused. If you ask a knowledgeable Catholic friend, are you saved? They will answer, I hope so. Because they understand that until they die and either get in or not, they don't know for sure. Because they have merged together the idea of justification and sanctification to the point if I'm not sanctified, I won't be justified. Therefore, I don't know because, you know, I just may not become sanctified as I should. We understand justification as an act. It is done. 
And sanctification is the process after that. So we are saved by being justified by the finished work of Jesus Christ. We are saved. We are being turned into the image of Christ. We are being sanctified. We are being saved. And someday, either when Christ returns or when we die, we will be glorified. We will be, well, the culmination of everything that Christ, God, through Christ, has done for us. So, today we're going to begin a discussion about salvation. John chapter 3, Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. So what does it mean to be born again? The doctrinal statement of the church, we believe that owing to universal death through sin, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Now, let's look at the first piece of that. The universal death through sin. We need to make sure we understand that we are all guilty. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You may sit there and think that as long as I'm not as bad as that person over there, I'm okay. But in the eyes of God, you are a sinner. You are in need of salvation. Until we acknowledge that, we will see no need for us to be saved. It is interesting because we read old-time pastors and we have, you know, bad phrases we use about them, hellfire and brimstone pastors. You know, the pastor getting up there yelling at you, you're going to hell, and, you know, you know what I'm talking about. And we think, oh, that's so horrible. So what we think we need is a pastor to come along and tell you how good you are. You're a really nice guy. And all of a sudden we begin to think, I'm a really good guy. And what? I don't need to be saved. I may need a little help, but I don't need to be saved. We understand that nobody is not in need of a savior. There's the passage we just read. Doctrinal statement. And that no degree of reformation. Let's just look at this list. No matter how great, no attainments in morality, however high, no culture, however attractive, no baptism or other ordinance, however administered, can help the sinner take one step toward heaven. But a new nature imparted from above, a new life implanted by the Holy Spirit through the word is absolutely essential 
to salvation, and only those thus saved are sons of God. Look at that list. No matter, no degree of reformation, however great, I'm going to give you a 10-step program to be a better person. And by the way, I could probably do that. You know, you need to do this, you need to do that, you need to do this thing. And you know what? You might become a better person. You might really actually become a better person. But you're not going to be saved. No matter how many self-help books you read, no matter how many self-help programs you're involved in, no matter how good in the eyes of the world that you make yourself, you're not going to save yourself. And let's just stop right there. God sounds really picky. Well, yeah, he's holy. He isn't just a little bit better than you. He is holy. He is set apart. He is righteous, and you're not. Let's say by some miracle, you really did reform your life. Today, you left this room, and you became a saint in the eyes of the world. Guess what? You still have this pile of sin behind you that something has to be done with. And secondly, I am probably convinced that if you did straighten out your life, you're going to get rather cocky about it, but that's just my opinion. And the odds are you're going to start looking down at people, and all of that, I mean, no attainments in morality, however high, no culture, however attractive. You do know, right? that there are people that are in human terms more attractive than others through physical attainment, through intellectual attainment, through artistic attainment, through something. Guess what? It's not going to save you. No baptism or other ordinance, however administered. Now, my Church of Christ friend is going to object to that because he's going to say, doesn't the Bible say, repent and be baptized and you will be saved? But you know what? There's not enough water in this world to wash away the stain of our sin. There's just not. Now, we're going to talk about this. In fact, we'll have a lesson later about the ordinances, the sacraments. Uh, our church recognizes two sacraments, um, baptism and the Lord's Supper. Uh, the Catholic Church has seven. Um, and they're important. We're commanded to do them. In fact, there's an idea that if you do not confess your salvation through the ordinance of baptism, God, eh, God's not going to recognize you. But once again, we have to ask ourselves, is the dunking or the sprinkling or whatever it is we do, 
Is that what is going to save you? And the answer is no. You can go to the Catholic Church and get sprinkled. You can go to the Presbyterian Church and get sprinkled as an infant. You can go to the Baptist Church and get dunked in the tank. You can get dunked in the river. You can get dunked until you are wet. And it will not bring you any closer to salvation. Can take us one step toward heaven. So, are we saying that Reformation is not good, that morality is not good, that culture is not good, and that the ordinances are not good? No. They're all good. Some of them are even necessary on the other side of salvation. But none of these things get us closer to heaven. We believe, a very long paragraph, we believe also that our redemption has been accomplished solely by the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ, who was made to be sin and was made a curse for us, dying in our room instead, and that no repentance no feeling, no faith, no good resolutions, no sincere effort, no submission to the rules or regulations of any church, nor all the churches that have existed since the days of the apostle can add in the very least degree to the value of the blood or to the merit of the finished work wrought for us by him who united in his person true and proper deity with perfect and sinless humanity." Now, how many of you think there's a problem with this list? No repentance? Didn't we just say we needed repentance? No feeling, no faith, no good resolutions, no sincere effort, no submission to the rules and regulations of any church, nor all the churches that have existed. Then what's going to save us? The finished work. Of Jesus Christ. Let me tell you how we as human beings think. I know because I am one. Let's say that I convince you that Jesus is going to do 99% of the work, but you have to do the last 1%. Jesus is going to drag you to the church, but you have to step over that threshold or you won't be saved. What's going to happen? You're going to start bragging about the fact that you stepped over that threshold so much better than that person over there. That's what you're going to do. I know it. You're going to form a congregation about those who step over the threshold with two feet versus one foot at the same time. Or do they go over backwards? Or do they go over there with a coat and tie on? Or do they? You're going to start a denomination. You're going to start a church about people stepping over that threshold. You know that's true. We're going to have a lot more talk about this in just a moment. This is the blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sin. Christ's blood plus repentance does not save us. 
in case you're wondering, we're going to go down this list, okay? But we'll take it one at a time. Doesn't the Bible say you're supposed to repent? Didn't I just give you a definition? I'm walking in this direction, I repent, I turn, and I walk this direction. The question is not, are you supposed to repent? The question is, do you repent because you're saved, or are you saved because you repent? Am I, in my own power, strength, effort, good enough to be walking in this direction and say, no, I'm going to turn and go this direction? And the answer is no. I work very diligently to not get very involved in the doctrine of election. Why? Because we as moderns hate the idea that I'm not in control of my destiny. But let me tell you what the scripture tells us. Romans chapter 3, there's no one who seeks good, there's no one who seeks after God. Every one of us goes running after the bad stuff. Left to my own devices, I'm going to walk and walk and walk in this direction. We talk about seekers with regard to people seeking after God. And I'm very kind in my understanding of this. There are people seeking after the things of God. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. And guess what? People like those things. So I, an unbeliever, want love, joy, peace in my life. And I may seek after those things, but I'm not seeking after God. Because the unregenerated person doesn't do that. Romans chapter 3. Until God says, whack, go that direction. And we go, thank you. Christ's blood plus good feelings does not save us. Now, should you have good feelings? Yes, you should. I have this vision of me sitting here trying to grunt out enough good feelings so that Christ will save me. And guess what? It is never, ever going to work. Oh, let's skip that one. Christ's blood plus faith does not save us. Aren't we commanded to have faith? Yes, we are. What is faith? Faith is believing God's promises and resting and relying on those. But guess what? It's not the faith that saves you. It is the object of your faith that saves you. The object of your faith is Jesus Christ. It isn't you working up enough faithness to say, ah, I finally hit the threshold, I'm in. It is the finished work of Jesus Christ. Do you see a pattern here? It's Christ from the beginning to the end. Christ's blood plus good resolutions do not save us. God, save me and I will. 
and you come up with a great list. Now, if you come up with the right list, maybe he'll save you. If you resolve to do great things, maybe he'll save you. No. Christ's blood plus the submission to the rules of the church. Any church does not save us. Christ's blood plus nothing is what saves us. We have trouble with this. I've always had wrestled with this idea. The Christian message is so wonderful. And yet we don't like it. Why? Because we want to do it. Somehow, some way, we want some credit for what we've done. Or we think we don't need it. I used to tell this story all the time. When my father was alive, he would call me up and invite me to lunch. And I'd always go. We'd have a great time. And it was great because he always bought lunch. And I would say, thank you. And I was genuinely thankful that he bought me lunch. But you know what? If he hadn't bought me lunch, I still was going to eat lunch. I could have provided for my own lunch. I'm grateful, but I'm not. My life didn't depend upon that. And many of us view salvation like that. I'm grateful for what Christ has done, but you know, I'd have fixed my lunch either way. We need to get to the point where we recognize we can't do it. You hear people say, salvation is wonderful, we don't have to do anything. Well, that's true, but it's not far enough. It isn't that we don't have to do anything. It's the acknowledgement that we can't do anything. You can go get your Encyclopedia of American Religions. You can start in the A's and work your way to the Z's, the Zoroastrians, and you can practice the religious beliefs of every one of these follow every principle that every one of them has, and you know what? You're going to have an interesting life. And I might want to talk to you. But it isn't going to save you. All of these things can and should be evidences of salvation, but none are the causes of salvation. You have got to get that ingrained in your head. This right here marks salvation. Over here, I'll do it from your perspective, over here is before salvation. Over there is after salvation. You can sit here over here before salvation, and do everything on this list. And it might make you a more interesting and a better person. But it isn't going to get you to the other side. 
When you are over here, you are called, I would say commanded, to live a life of faith. We are to trust God. That's faith. We are to rely on God's word. That's faith. But if I'm over here trying to drum up enough faith feelings, I need more. You're not going to make it. Salvation is based on the finished work of Jesus Christ. And that's it. That's it. If you want to think, yeah, but God was real happy to get me on his side because I'm a pretty good guy. Then take your piece of paper and write Pharisee on it and paste it to your forehead. Okay? If you think that you contributed to your salvation. Now, remind ourselves, we're talking about justification. We're talking about God declaring us righteous based on the finished work of Jesus Christ. In a week or two, we're going to talk about sanctification. And guess what? You are called. No, you are commanded to do things. You are. But guess what? Over on this side of salvation, it's still faith. It's still grace. But you are called to work that out with fear and trembling. So, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him, in him we might become the righteousness of God. The phrase that is used is imputation. This is what Martin Luther struggled with. Romans chapter 1. The just shall live by faith. There is a righteousness that is by faith from first to last apart from the law. And he struggled with that. What does it mean the just shall live by faith? Don't you have to live by faith and repent and do in order to be declared just? And Martin Luther struggled over this. Martin Luther would go to confession as a good Catholic, as a Catholic monk. And he would go to confession for three hours a day. And the poor guy he's talking to finally says, come back, Martin, when you really have sinned. But Martin Luther knew he did not love the Lord his God with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength. He knew he didn't do that. He knew he couldn't be justified based on his own actions. So there is a huh, salvation, justification by faith from first to last. And what we understand, and I might understand, you might understand, Martin Luther didn't make this up, okay? It's knee-deep in the book of Romans. What he understood is that we are not justified 
because of our righteousness. We are justified because we receive the righteousness of Christ. God looks at us and says, righteous. Why? Because we are covered by the finished work of Jesus Christ. Last week in my world history class, we talked about the Exodus. Remember the Exodus? The death angel comes and he sees the blood on the door and he passes over. God sees the righteousness of Christ, which has been imputed to us, has been given to us, and we are declared to be righteous. And to a good Catholic theologian, that's just berserk. God is lying. And he can't do that. He can't declare you to be righteous if you're not righteous. You have to receive, you have to receive the finished work of Jesus Christ. You just have to work it all out. And at the end, he'll save you. This is a really long verse. This is Paul talking. And he gives his resume of all the great things that he does. And looking down there at the bottom in the part that I guess is in bold. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. He has this long list of why he is the greatest Jew that ever lived. And he ends up and saying, that's a pile of horse manure. So, we believe that the new birth of the believer comes only through faith in Christ and that repentance is a vital part of believing and is in no way in itself a separate and independent condition of salvation, nor are any acts such as confession, baptism, prayer, or service, faithful service to be added to believing as a condition of salvation. Didn't we just say that repentance wasn't necessary? And here we're saying, what this is saying is I'm walking this direction and the Holy Spirit moves in my life and I repent. You get in trouble if you begin to think, I repent and the Holy Spirit comes. As if somehow those are distinct and mine comes first. That's what this is saying. Repentance is a vital part of believing. Let me say this in as strong a terms as I can. If you believe that you can be made righteous and continue to live just like you did before, my kind words are, it's a red flag and it should be a warning that you're not what you think you are. God's words aren't quite so kind. You are a new creation. You are going to do new creation things. 
you were spiritually dead. You're going to do spiritually live kind of things. If you're not doing spiritually live kind of things, there needs to be a lot of self-examination about whether you're saved. But once again, all of those new life kind of things, all those fruit of the Spirit, all those things are the fruit. They're not the cause. I go to the lumberyard and I buy a piece of wood, a four by four, and I stick it in my yard. I dig a hole, I stick it in there, and I say, produce apples. <laughs> Guess what? That four by four is never going to produce apples. Ever. Ever, ever. Well, come on. If you really feel like producing apples, you'll produce it. No. It's a dead piece of wood. When the Holy Spirit comes into our lives, the fruit comes into existence. The fruit is fruit, not cause. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. There's actually some discussion about this verse. Well, there's discussion about every verse in the Bible, but I happen to take the position when it says, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. You can have a debate whether it's pointing to grace, which is true, or whether it's pointing to faith, which I believe is also true. Where do we get faith? The same way we get everything else, God gives it to us. But look what it says. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. It is interesting to me, you read Ephesians, you read Romans, and how many times you see this phrase, so no one can boast, so no one can brag, so no one can think they've accomplished it. If you walk out of here thinking, I'm a pretty good guy because I accepted Jesus Christ. You've missed the point. You have. If you leave here thinking, I'm a worm, and for some reason God chose to save me, then you're back to with the good old hymns, okay? But that's just not very good for my self-esteem. You know, I want to read the, I'm okay, you're okay, I want to get a trophy for participating in life. I just want people to tell me. And you know what? We do need to be affirmed. But you know what? We are lost in our trespasses and sin, and we're not going to be saved by all the trophies that you can collect in your lifetime. We believe that when, every, when an unregenerate person exercises that faith in Christ, which is illustrated and described as such in the New Testament, he passes immediately out of spiritual death into spiritual life, and from the old creation to the new, he's being justified from all things. 
and he's loved as Christ is loved, having his place and portion as linked to him and one with him forever. Yes, we just skipped over every one of the verses that goes with that. We believe that when you are saved, ready for this? You're saved. You're not just kind of, you know, a journeyman or an apprentice or we're going to try you out for a while. We'll bring you in as a temp worker, see if you're any good. If you hold on well, we'll keep you around. No. You are declared righteous by the finished work of Jesus Christ. If you think all that other stuff is going to, no, it's just the blood of Jesus Christ. Though the saved one may have occasion to grow in the realization of his blessing and to know a fuller measure of divine power through the yielding of his life more fully to God, he is, as soon as he is saved, in possession of every spiritual blessing and absolutely complete in Christ and is therefore in no way required by God to seek a so-called second blessing or a second work of grace. You are one of our charismatic friends. And you believe that you're saved. Yeah, you're saved, but you need the second blessing. Generally, the second blessing is tied to the speaking in tongues. You know, you're saved, but you're not really saved until, well, you start speaking in tongues. We know people grow in their faith. We know that people mature. We know that we progress in our calling to be conformed to the image of Christ. We know that. What this paragraph is saying, though, is when you are saved, every blessing that Christ has to give is in you. You have received it. You have received the Holy Spirit. You may not know what all that means. It may take you, no, it will take you a lifetime before you begin to see everything that Christ has done for you. But he did it all for you when you were saved. But, wait a minute. James, the last verse. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? So also faith by itself, if it does not work, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Doesn't that just violate everything that I just said? Well, first off, you can read the two verses above that. Romans chapter 3. Then what became of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works. So come on, guys. We've got Paul and we've got James, and they're obviously confusing each other. And here's what's even more interesting. When they want to give an example of faith without works, who do they use? Abraham. 
when they want to give an example of faith with works, who does he use? Abraham. How confusing is this? But you also have to understand that Paul uses Abraham at this stage of Abraham's life when the scripture says that Abraham believed and that belief was credited to him as righteousness. James goes over here and says, yeah, but that faith produced works. Do you remember my illustration? You go to the Home Depot, you get your four by four and you plant it in the ground. Guess what? That is a dead piece of wood. It cannot, will not ever produce fruit. At some point in your life, I grew up in a Baptist church. At some point in your life, you may have walked down the aisle and said, I believe. I really do believe. I love all this I'm hearing. This is great stuff. And then you walk out and you just live your life as you want to live it. Because, hey, I've got my fire insurance. I'm going to heaven because at some point, some evangelist told me all I've got to do is walk down that aisle and I'm done. And James is reminding us, if you've got a dead four by four planted in your yard, it is not going to produce fruit because it's dead. And if your faith is like that dead four by four, it's not a saving faith. Faith that does not produce works is not true faith. If you believe, and I've heard this taught by Catholics, and I've heard it taught by non-Catholics. From the Catholic perspective, you go to um, Mass at Christmas and Easter, you say you're one confession a year, I'm covered, I can go do anything I want. To the Protestant is, well, it's not by works, I can do anything I want. That's wrong. If your faith has no evidence of fruit, it's dead. What does that fruit look like? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Well, are all those things just emotions? No. They're emotions that work themselves out in your everyday life. Now, I don't see all those things in my life. Does that mean I'm not saved? Well, it could mean that you're not saved. It could mean that you're just human. Remember, we're going to talk about sanctification. As we become more conformed to the image of Christ, the more we are aware when we're not conformed to the image of Christ. I've told you in here many times, I studied math. I loved math. I was really good at math. But you know what? I had this strange thing. The more math I learned, the more math I knew I didn't know. And as we become conformed to the image of Christ, the more we realize how short, short we're falling of what Christ would have us to do. And you know what? That's okay. But if there is no fruit, if you really believe, it doesn't matter what I do. That, James would say, 
is a dead faith. So, due to our sin nature, nothing that we can do in our own strength can bring us closer to salvation. We must have new life given to us by the Holy Spirit. The blood of Jesus Christ is completely sufficient for our salvation. There are some of you, or some of your friends, or some of your family members, who might believe, now, I've sinned a whole bunch. I'm not just a little sinner, I'm a big sinner. There can't be enough to wash away that sin. What we understand is that the blood of Jesus Christ is sufficient for all of that. If you think your sin is too great, the problem is not your sin. The problem is your pride. You're just thinking of yourself and not of what Christ has done for you. There are evidences of salvation, but not preconditions. Do we understand the difference? Repent, and then you can be saved. Take the sacraments, and then you can be saved. Promise that you're going to do better tomorrow, and then you can be saved. No. Those are all preconditions. But there will be evidence. When we are saved, we are totally saved. Other religions are always adding some human work as a prerequisite for salvation. So, what is it that saves us? The blood of Jesus Christ. And that's it. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you that you have provided salvation through Jesus. I pray that we would grasp the depth of our sin and the power and sufficiency of the blood of Christ. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.